This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us for another week. We've got a big show coming up. Oscar Piastri. The Australian Formula 3 champion of 2020 will join us to talk about his drive in a Formula 1 Renault car on the weekend in Bahrain. We'll also have a chat uh, to a couple of guys who know the Adelaide scene pretty well. And of course with the demise of the Adelaide 500, Craig Dontis, who is the current sponsorship manager at Supercars was also involved in the commercial side of the Adelaide 500 for a long time. We'll talk to us about that. And the news reporter who broke the story about the government dumping the Adelaide 500 will also join us as well. We'll also catch up with Richard Crail and Mark Walker, have a chat about uh, the Adelaide 500 and other stories around the scenes also. But first of all, the news, the Mercedes have secured a record seventh straight Formula One Constructors Championship after Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas finished first and second at Imola. Hamilton leads Bottas by 85 points with four races remaining and can seal his seventh Drivers' Championship at Istanbul next week. Team principal Toto Wolff paid tribute to all involved with Mercedes post-celebrations. Yeah, it, it starts to sink in. Uh, I'm just so happy and, and proud to be part of this team. Uh, uh, you can see you know, everybody back at Stuttgart who was uh, supporting us over all these years. And It's no cliche, all the people that have contributed, the drivers that are so happy about the team's success. Yeah, overall a, a very good afternoon. Wolf has also indicated he's found his potential successor as team principal as he looks to transition to a lesser role with the team in coming years. A shareholder with Mercedes, Wolf will remain involved in some capacity but has stated his time as principal has taken a toll. Wolf has been with Mercedes since January 2013, arriving as executive director with a 30% ownership following a stint at Williams. Red Bull boss Christian Horner has stated that tyre failure has cost Max Verstappen a likely podium finish at Imla, and it was totally instantaneous. Verstappen had overtaken Valtteri Bottas in second when a rear right tyre blowout saw him forced to retire with 12 laps remaining. Verstappen's loss was Daniel Ricciardo's gain, the Aussie securing his second podium finish with Renault and sharing his trademark shoey with Lewis Hamilton. There you go. So we uh, we shared one today. It was it was majestic. And uh, fun fact for everyone, I think it was three years ago on the podium, he said he will never, ever drink out of my shoe. And 2020, strange things are happening. So that must be your biggest win then, surely. It's, uh, it was, <laughs> well, after that, I was very adamant that I would get him to do it one day. And uh, here we go. So didn't forget. Uh, very happy. Um, the champagne is colder these days. I don't know if it's because we're approaching winter and it's cooler outside, but it does make the shoe experience slightly more tolerable. George Russell has described the crash behind the safety car that cost him a chance at maiden points as the biggest mistake of his career. Russell was in 10th as he crashed out in innocuous fashion while directly behind the safety car, admitting he'd pushed a little bit too hard to keep his tyres warm. The Englishman was visibly distraught after the incident, later apologising to his team for what he called a very stupid mistake. A race that I was pushing as hard as I could from lap one until then, the most aggressive I've ever been. And I wanted to continue that under the safety car because I knew that with the guys behind me on the hot new tyres, myself on the old tyres, if I had any chance of getting a point, I needed to be super aggressive. And obviously, as soon as I lost the car, I was already in the wall and it's just... Um, yeah, obviously really sorry to, to all the guys. Supercars News and Fabian Coulthard has confirmed his five-year stint with DJR Team Penske has ended with Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison look like the replacements set to replace him and also Scott McLaughlin next season. Dick Johnson Racing will revert to local ownership in 2021 following Roger Penske's withdrawal from Supercars. Coulthard joined DTR Tim Penske following the 2015 campaign, finishing as high as third in the championship in 2017. 
Meanwhile, supercars are looking to end the 2021 season on the Gold Coast following last week's announcement that the Adelaide 500 would no longer be backed by the South Australian Government. The Gold Coast event would be moved from its traditional October time slot to November with the possibility of a night event under lights also on the table. The 2021 season is expected to commence at Bathurst in February. Supercar CEO Sean Seymour has signed a memorandum of understanding with the South Australian opposition that will see the Adelaide 500 likely reinstalled should they be elected. The move comes following Premier Steve Marshall's announcement it would no longer back the event next year. The next South Australian election is scheduled for March 2022. Touring Car Australia have agreed to provisional schedules for 2021 with Simmons Plains Tasmania to host a double header from late January. Six rounds will be completed across eight events, including Bathurst, Sandown and Phillip Island, amongst others. TCR has not seen competitive racing since the weekend of the Australian Formula One Grand Prix in March. The British Touring Car Cup's final is set to proceed in Kent in a fortnight, as all non-elite racing is banned in the UK as they enter a new lockdown period. The BTCC is considered an elite pursuit by the government's Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport, so can conclude at Brands Hatch on November 14. Four-time winner Colin Turkington is in the box seat to claim the title again, leading Ash Sutton by nine points. 2018 Carrera Cup Australia Series winner Jackson Evans has won the French version of the event following his first two races in Barcelona. Evans' victory also secured the team championship for his team, BWC Lechner Racing Squad. NASCAR drivers will race on dirt for the first time in 50 years next season after the 36-event 2021 calendar was locked in. The season will commence in Daytona in February and include the Bristol Motor Speedway's dirt track in late March. It will be the first top-tier NASCAR dirt race since September 1970. The season will conclude in Phoenix in November. That's the news. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, I know when I was 19 years old, my first car was powered by a Honda. The only difference was my first Formula One car, which I never actually drove, wasn't powered by a Renault, but it was for this kid. A Melbourne boy, 19 years old, Oscar Piastri. He's the Formula 3 world champion, and he just got the opportunity to drive a Formula 1 car in Bahrain. He joins us now. G'day, Oscar. How are you? Good, thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on board, mate. Uh, as far as uh, things that you've probably done in your life, that must be right up there. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I, I sort of knew about it once I won the championship. Um, so I had to try and keep it quiet for a couple of months, which isn't that easy. Um, but yeah, I was super excited uh, leading up to it. And then, yeah, the day certainly lived up to expectations and exceeded. Um, so yeah, awesome day. And hopefully it's the first of many. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the, first of all, give us the difference between a Formula One car and a Formula Three car. Uh, so in terms of like actual stats, uh, I think the power is about a Wow, depending on, on which engine mode you use, I think there's about a 500 or 600 horsepower difference. Um, and then the, the F1 car is about 100 kilos heavier uh, or maybe a little bit more than the F3 car. So um, in low-speed corners, it's it's actually reasonably similar. There's not there's not a massive step, but um, yeah, certainly the downforce in under-braking and in high-speed was just unreal. Um, I think I was pulling a bit over four Gs uh, under brakes, which was was definitely something to get used to. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool to say the least. And even though you did a hundred laps or thereabouts on the day, you don't get that much time to get used to it, do you? I mean, it's pretty much you've got a few laps and then you've got to start really getting hitting your skids to show people what you can do. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I would say that's probably one of my stronger points. I generally adapt to things pretty quickly so I think I got up to speed pretty quick anyways but um, yeah I think the the third run I did was already uh, a new tyre run so and you know I'd, I'd only had probably less than 10 laps before that so certainly had to, to get used to it pretty quick um, but yeah I think I did a pretty good job and I'm never going to turn down uh, a new set of tyres in an F1 car. No definitely not. Uh, what was going through your mind? at the time on those first few laps, did it ever occur to you, you know, oh God, I've got to, 
a million dollar car here. I don't want to crash it, it. All that sort of stuff. Does that go through your head, or do you are you able just to push that all aside and focus fully on the job? Uh, I think once I was driving, it was was pretty normal. Um, but yeah, definitely before I jumped in, I was a bit nervous. A if I could firstly get out of the garage without embarrassing myself, um, and then you know sort of just working out how everything how everything feels. You know what you have to, what buttons you have to hit and and whatever. Um, but yeah, once I did that sort of install lap uh, and then got into the actual running, it was which is purely getting used to how much quicker the car is and, and how much more downforce it's got. Was there an opportunity at all to have a chat to Daniel Ricciardo prior to jumping in the car? Uh, no, I didn't I didn't have a chance to speak to him. I think he was pretty busy at, yeah. uh, at Imola preparing for the weekend. But, um, yeah, I mean, I got to watch um, one of the other academy boys, Christian Lungard, the day before. So I didn't go in sort of completely blind. Um, I had sort of a bit of knowledge of what he was doing the day before um but yeah didn't didn't get a chance to chat to Danny Rick unfortunately she was Formula 3 world champion uh that must sit beautifully with you as well yep yeah sure does um pretty crazy year and it already feels like a pretty long time ago to be honest I think it was was only about a month and a half ago but everything's been moving on pretty quickly since then and obviously driven a, a much faster race car so um yeah, sits pretty well, but um, already already focusing on the future, to be honest. That future, while we're speaking about it, does that include a Formula 2 drive next year? Is that part of the plans? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be in F2, um, just sorting out who with at the moment. Um, got a lot of good options on the table, so um, yeah, I'm excited for whatever next year comes, but I will be on the F2 good. Take us through the F3 season, not race to race, but just what it was like to be a part of, one, the Formula One circuit and, and be a part of that for a season, but two, the COVID-19 situation for Formula One this year. We go back to Australia and Australia's cancelled first race of the year. They don't race for another four or five months. Was there things going through your head that make you thought, maybe I don't get the chance to race Formula Three this year? It was, it was, it was pretty close to that, wasn't it? Yeah, it sure was. Once everything got cancelled, I was was pretty sceptical that we were going to go racing again this year. Um, so, yeah, it was a credit to F1 and, and the FIA to get everything firstly up and running again. And then it all ran extremely smoothly. I think, uh, you know, Perez, well, during my season, Sergio Perez was really the only person who tested positive yeah. throughout every, every paddock. Um, so, yeah, it all ran very well. But I was actually in Australia for the Grand Prix um expecting to to fly to Bahrain on the Monday after and uh for my first race and then obviously everything got cancelled so instead of spending a week in Australia I ended up spending three close to three months um at home so yeah the the beginning of the season you know was definitely very uncertain and I think it it kind of helped I had a bit more time to prepare and and get fully settled into the season obviously I came in new championship uh, new new suit colours with, with Renault's support, uh, new team as well. So I think it just gave me a bit of extra time for everything to become more normal uh, and then also get down to some hard work and, and really focus on uh, where I struggled a bit in the pre-season testing. Um, but yeah, obviously once the season got going, it was very, very fast, uh, nine rounds in 11 weekends. And um, yeah, just went by in a flash really. Started off well um, with with the first win, and then uh, had some interesting races in the middle, uh, and then yeah, sort of salvaged it a, a bit more at the end, and, and managed to hang on for the championship. And what an amazing finish it was! To it all came down to numbers, didn't it? You had to finish, I think, in the top ten. Others had to either win, or it was just yeah, it was just amazing how it all sort of really fell your way. Yeah, exactly. I mean. I felt pretty confident going into the last weekend at Mugello and then obviously qualifying really didn't go to plan, qualified 11th and had a, a five-place grid drop from Monza. Um, so I had to start 16th and then, yeah, we were, we were, our aim was purely to get reverse grid pole for, for race two, um, which is, is finishing 10th and I ended up finishing 11th, which was pretty annoying and disappointing. Um, you know, I, I was very happy with what I'd done in the race, but just to fall one position short was a bit of a kick in the guts. 
Um, so I actually went into the final race sort of accepting or expecting that I wasn't going to win the championship. Um, and then obviously my teammate was out on the, the first lap and I knew from that point on I had a very good chance to win it. Um, and then Porsche put in a pretty pretty good drive to uh, get onto the podium and I just had to, to be smart and pick off the positions that I needed to, to maintain the, the points gap really. Nine races in 11 weeks, as you said. What's that like on the body? Because you're effectively not in training mode really at any point, are you? You pulled, you're pretty much in recovery mode after every race. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was really um, important to have a good level of fitness going into the year. Um, I think if you went into the season unfit, then you were going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, so I think I worked very hard during the, that sort of corona uncertainty break. Um, so I went into the season well prepared, probably the best I've been prepared. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, there wasn't actually much training possible during the season. I think in the, the weeks off, it, it helped that uh, we had a week off before Silverstone. Um, so I actually got to spend a week at, at Renault training in the factory, um, which which was good. Um, but like you said, it was pretty much just recovery and obviously you gain race fitness, especially on your neck. But um, yeah, it was important to make sure that you could recover as well as possible. And if you had any chances to get any training in, like in those weeks off, um, then yeah, you had to make the most of it. Mark Webber in your corner. That's a pretty special thing, isn't it? The guy has so much respect throughout the the circuit from his time in Formula One and also post that in his Porsche driving time as well. How much of a role does he play in what you have done and achieved this year? Um, so, yeah, great to have Mark on board, obviously, for this year. Um, and, yeah, he's been a, a big part of of, uh, of everything that's happened so far. Um, you know, obviously, he did a lot of the negotiations for getting me the the driver premier this year and um, he's pretty busy at the moment trying to sort out next year as well. Um, so yeah, behind the scenes doing a lot of great work for me, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and then obviously he's been in my shoes before he's worked his way up through the, the junior ranks and gotten to F1, which is where I'm trying to get to. So uh, he's been on my journey before, got some good advice on, on what to do and what not to do. Um, and like you said, he's got a lot of respect from, from a lot of people in the paddock and a lot of good contacts. So, um, yeah, really grateful to have him in my corner. Five years now, I think you've lived overseas and have been a part of racing over through Europe and the like. Does it get any easier being away from the family and all that sort of stuff? Uh, a little bit, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, now I'm 19... Um, I'd like to think that even if I was at home, I'd probably be thinking about moving out anyways. Um, but yeah, it, it was certainly pretty tough at the beginning. Uh, I moved out with my dad to the UK when I was 15 uh, and spent six months living with my dad. And then he went back home to the rest of my family and I started boarding school. Um, so boarding school was for me a really good um sort of route that we took um it was basically like living with a bunch of mates yeah and was a really good not distraction but uh why well, in some ways yes a distraction from from racing and sort of the cruel and, and hard world of motorsport so for me that really made life a lot easier um and obviously most of the people there were from the uk so settled in with them quite easily uh and and yeah, that made life much easier. Obviously, now I'm living by myself. Uh, well, I'm living with another guy in the Renault Academy, but he's off racing at the moment. Um, but um, yeah, it it gets a little bit easier, but I'm definitely looking forward to getting home as soon as I can. I haven't been home since March. So uh, hopefully, while well, everything's looking good, that I'll be able to come home uh, just before New Year's. So yeah, looking forward to it. That'll be fantastic to have you home, I'm sure, for mum and dad uh, for at least a couple of months before you have to go back. We... We've always heard about how tough it is for Australians over through Europe and, you know, having to get massive budgets and all that sort of stuff. Has that changed at all or is it still a really tough thing for a young Aussie to go over to Europe and be a part of this scene and work his way through the grades? I think it's still definitely tough. Uh, I think unless you go over to Europe and sort of fully commit to Europe, it's always going to be very, very tough. Um, a 
mainly because we're just so far away from the rest of the world and the time zone certainly doesn't help. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, I think Australian backing is, is pretty tight, uh, even in, in supercars. I think we've seen that. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely not easy uh, trying to find Australian sponsorship on the, the world stage. Um, I'm hoping that my success, especially this year and in the last few years, is, is going to help and hopefully we can get some good sponsorship on board. But um, yeah, it's certainly not easy. And um, yeah, any, any extra support we could get from anywhere would be, uh, would be very much appreciated. Mark Webber has come out and said that he expects that you'll probably be driving in Formula One in 2022. That gives you a year in Formula Two next year. How much pressure do you put on yourself to make 2022 a reality? Um, not that much pressure, to be honest. Um, you know, at the moment, there's, there's not actually a seat at Renault for 2022, I don't think. Um, so I've got to do something pretty spectacular to, to work myself in there. Um, but, you know, all I can really do is focus on F2 next year and, and having the best season I can. And, and naturally, hopefully, that'll put me into F1 contention. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I'm getting to F2. Uh, it's not an easy championship coming in as a rookie and, and doing well in your first year is, is not an easy feat. Um, I think it can be possible, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly not expecting to go out there and win the championship, but in saying that I wasn't expecting that this year either. Um, so yeah, I'm just not that much pressure really just focusing on F2 and hopefully the results naturally uh, put my name uh, across some F1 seats. She was in uh, the return of a, a massive name and a bloke with so much experience in Fernando Alonso will be a, a real advantage for the team and for the young guys like yourself who hopefully get an opportunity to, to sort of meet him and have a chat and pick his brains on things. Yeah, it's going to be cool to have Fernando coming back to the team. Um, obviously, it's at the expense of Danny Rick, which is a bit unfortunate, but um, yeah, it's not every day you get to, uh, to, be, to share the same factory with a two-time F1 world champion, so... Definitely looking forward to it. Um, haven't met him before yet, but um, yeah, hopefully I get the chance to shortly. I think he's actually out in Bahrain, uh, finishing off the, the Renault testing at the moment. So yeah, looking forward to it. And um, hopefully I can either join him as a teammate in a few years or take over his seat. Well, that'd be fantastic. Mate, congratulations on everything you've achieved so far in such a short uh, career in motor racing, a Formula 3 championship is nothing to be sneezed at. It's a world championship. Not too many guys, Australians especially, get to win those. Good luck for the remainder uh, in the future, mate. And uh, let's hope that 2021 is a, a better year racing-wise for crowds and all that sort of stuff. And the atmosphere of Formula 1 gets back. And we see you probably here in Australia, hopefully in March. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, hopefully... Uh... All the crowds are allowed back next year. That'd be uh, that'd be good. Oscar Piastri joining us here on the grid. Well, it's hard to believe that after the year we've had, there'd be an even bigger motorsport story than all of the adventures we've already been up to at this point. But last week in Adelaide, a massive bombshell was dropped. And we thought we'd get the man on the line who actually broke it. Uh, Channel 9's state political reporter from Channel 9, Adelaide. Rory McLaren is on the line. G'day, mate. Hello, Richard. I would I would like to say it's good to be here, but we're here. <laughs> now, let's just uh, establish some credentials for those that might not have seen your excellent work. You are a proper motorsport fan and went through the Mike Drewer, Penny Gordon School of Education in the Media Centre at the Adelaide 500, Yes. I certainly did. Um, uh, those years, there was at least two, if not three, 500s uh, working in the media centre uh, going back uh, almost 10 years ago now. And now you're the heavy hitter at Channel 9, which is kicking many, many goals with their locally produced news bulletin. So um, this is obviously a massive story to break for any journalist, but I imagine you breaking it in particular was sort of uh, mixed feelings, I would imagine. Well, let's put it all into some some sort of context as well for for your your listeners and those who are watching. Richard, last week there was a lot of talk in in South Australia about events. Mm. Um, you know, this this state's obviously pride itself on being the event state, and lots of the dialogue was actually around the tour down under. 
Um, and that's obviously one of the big draw card events for the state, which which takes place in January, and the toing and froing about that. And then this happened um, in in the midst of all that. Um, you know, all the talk coming into last week was still very much about all right. Let's shift the event to to the back end of the season. Let's make it the grand finale. Let's have the conversation with New South Wales about um, you know Adelaide going historically back to where it belongs back in that sort of October, November window mm. um, uh, where the Grand Prix was uh, going back, um, you know, 25 years now. Um, yeah. And then this, this call came my way, which was um, it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, no, it's not going to happen. Next year won't happen. And the contract's not going to be renewed. Um, so that's that's sort of where where it played out, and this all played out late in the afternoon on on Thursday. Um, and uh, as your your listeners and and viewers would be aware, um, all hell broke loose yes, <laughs> from that is. point onward. Yeah, and and our understanding is it was only supercars only found out quite late that morning, so it, it felt like it was quite a rapid process from. Them yeah. actually being notified to you dropping the news on night. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was the thing is that that you know uh, my understanding was that the, the talks were, were were still going um, mm. until Thursday. Yep. Um, and then the phone went quiet. So um, obviously, uh, uh, and, and and let's put it into a political context as well here. Um, the state government made this 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 decision knowing that there would be blowback. Yep. Um, were they expecting the level of blowback that they've received? Not quite sure about that. Yeah. Um, uh, also, for for people who are, are very posh, you know, part time observers of, of politics here in, in South Australia, we're coming up to a state budget. That's obviously a significant point in time as well. Government is probably hoping that we're now sort of two well, a week rather away mm. from that uh, the budget that things may have moved on. But even today, you know, it's still uh, well and truly in the uh, in the press here, um, especially when you starting to hear things like the Premier talking about potentially selling some of the assets that are, um, and assets by assets, we mean walls and pit buildings and overpasses and the uh, the hardware that the state has to, to erect the, the parkland circuit. And that, that could potentially being offloaded. We're already talking, having those sort of conversations while the, the state opposition is obviously running around and um, you know doing deals with supercars about signing a, an MOU to potentially bring the race back should they be successful at uh, the 2022 state election. So there, there's a long way to go on this one, Richard. Yeah, there is. Were you surprised that they binned it totally? Uh, there's probably an expectation that next year would be a challenge regardless, given the uncertainty of major events around COVID and everything going on. And, and certainly a major event that relies on large, not necessarily grandstand seated patronage. So concerts are such a big part of that event and, it's the wandering round as much as it is sitting in the grandstand at the hairpin at, or the center chicane at the Adelaide 500. But was it a surprise that they actually killed it off given, given the returns that the numbers that the government themselves punch out every year yeah. show? Yeah. It, it, it's fascinating when you, you put it in that context as well, that, um, you know, yes, there was one year to go on the contract. Um, but then you, you look at the, if they didn't make an, and, if you want to argue a case for why the government has done this politically, if they didn't make this decision now, okay, so what are we now? We're now 18 months from the 16 months from the next state election. Yep. If you end up making a call like this, you know, the race does go to October next year, for example, you're within six months of a state election. Yep. It becomes a white hot political issue all the way through to, to March, 2022. Whereas if you've made the call now, you potentially potentially um, uh, maybe limit the damage that's been done uh, by making this call uh, because you are that little bit further away from the state election than you otherwise would be if this is a decision which is being made. And there's, there's always a political aspect to this. Yeah. Um, and the government can't deny that. Um, yeah. but, but, it's, but it's arguably less damaging doing it now than it would be a lot closer to the election. So, I mean, and also if you want to be really canny, I mean, look at the, look at the timing of the way the contracts work. Do you think that was just coincidence that there was a, you know, 2021 was the, the out clause? I mean, that's, that's you know, within the electoral cycle, that makes it whoever. So obviously that was a deal done by the former Labor government. Yes. If they were in 
they could have, you know, extended or made a, a potentially very tough decision for the Liberals if they, when they were successful in 2018. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's a the, the timing you could argue um, for making the call maybe limits the damage for them politically by it going now. Obviously, I mean, it, it's everywhere still, uh, as I was just mm-hmm. saying earlier. And do you feel that the the opposition's response, which has been firm and aggressive and ongoing now for, for five or six days as we speak. Um, do you feel like that is simply the opposition doing what the opposition does, which is the opposite to the current party in power? Or is there an element of this being their first opportunity to get some political traction in a year where it's been really difficult to criticise the South Australian government for anything, given how well this state in particular has managed the coronavirus pandemic and everything going on? with our yeah, state and do, do you think that's there's a bit of opportunism there from from the opposition oh absolutely and 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 give them an inch and they'll take a mile and they've, yeah. they've absolutely done that with this and uh, i mean yeah even you know yesterday's uh up and back to sydney to to catch up with sean seymour as a prime example mm. um of, of them capitalizing as much as they possibly can on the opportunity which is presented here um let's also remember here that this is this is an event that was started by the liberals yes and and then was built on uh, by the by the Labor Party when during their sixteen years in office. So for for a long time it, it's had you know fairly bipartisan support when it comes to the event it, itself. Um, the challenge obviously now for for the Labor Party in South Australia is to continue it and to keep it being a you know front of mind uh, amongst the the electorate for the next 15, 16 months. Yeah. Um, uh, or it, it becomes just another plank of, of, of the platform that they put to the voters um, over the coming year and a half. Yeah. It's a big story though, isn't it? For South Australia in particular, in a year of big stories, what was the, what was the vibe in the newsroom when this came out and, and amongst your colleagues? Yeah, it was, it was, it was well, considering the time of the day that, that we sort of got the information. Um, uh, it was, it was almost not, quite jaw on the floor because mm. this year's thrown up so many uncertainties and unknowns, but it was, it was genuine surprise that, that this was the time that this would happen. Um, and let's look at how it rolled out. I mean, it was, it was lead story here on, on Thursday night. It was lead story again, Friday. Um, yeah. And, and it's been, uh, I think today might be the first day off the top of my head, or unless it was incorporated in a another piece of what we did, um, that it hasn't had its own standalone yeah, um, yeah. piece um, in in the television news um, over the last uh, basically since Thursday night. So it is it is big big news, and it's that you can make the argument that that as you know, and as lots of your listeners and 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 viewers know, Richard, that you know this this race. It is, and it has become a part of Adelaide's fabric. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in all its various guises, be it you know, Grand Prix, be it um, supercars, be it Le Mans series. That let's not forget that that in the midst of uh, the the race of a thousand years, that that street racing in Adelaide are absolutely synonymous, and it's a it's a very brave government to uh, to choose to draw a line under that for this point in time. I think that's a good place as any to leave it. Um, I'd congratulate you on breaking one of the biggest motor racing news stories of the years, but I don't know, mate, it's a challenge. Um, But no, seriously, we love your work and we love that there's motorsport fans, many of them in not just the motorsport and motor impression Australia, but, but working in newsrooms around the country that, that got their start like I did um, at the Adelaide 500. So um, well done, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Rory McLaren from Channel 9 Adelaide joining us here on The Grid. All right, Crosby, fantastic catch uh, catch up with Rory there, mate. A, A real good insight into how this story really unfolded. Yeah, Shebex, when you're breaking stories like that, it's uh, a positive to be a motor racing fan. But as we talked about with Rory Hart at the same time, because that's the last story you want to break as a, a main journal for Nine News in Adelaide. But um, you did a really nice job and it's it's one of the biggest stories in South Australia for the year, certainly from a political side of things since the coronavirus uh, started earlier on in March. So yeah, big story and it was good to get to the bottom of, of how the story came out. And 
I think now we can sort of dive into how the event got to this point and how it got to the point of Tourism SA and the government ultimately pulling the pin. Well, how it got to the point of what we thought was no return, but that was proven oh, to be yes. wrong a week ago. Craig Dottis was the uh, one of the, the guys running the, the commercial part of uh, the Adelaide 500 when he was there. He was sort of involved in, in that whole side. He's now the commercial or head of commercial sales at Supercars, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Craig. How are you? Good. Yeah, very well, thank you. Obviously disappointed, mad, frustrated. Um, I don't know how you can summarise into words, but being a parochial South Australian, you know, the heart of Grand Prix, heart of Adelaide 500, Clipsal 500, Superloop 500, it's it's probably a... The air of madness and frustration is probably the nicest way to sum it up. Craig, before we go to the now, and uh, um, sorry, before we go to the past, a quick look at the now. From what we're hearing, this decision took everybody in supercars by surprise. Would that be correct? Yeah, 100%. Um, I found out by Channel 9 News. So, you know, I work for the mothership, supercars, head of sale of... Um, exact word is head of uh, national sales and sponsorship. So we found out by the news. Um, so blindsided uh, is probably the nicest word to put it. Yeah, it's incredible the way it rolled out, mate. And it felt like a very last minute thing. And, and the news I got was that the call was made at around 10 or 11 o'clock on that morning. Um, and yeah, like, like you, everybody in the sport found out via um via the news and and the the top brass at supercars only found out a little bit earlier on but even the way it was rolled out felt strange and there was no announcement from the premier there was a four-line press release and a statement that came out that actually felt a bit insulting to the nature of the event and all the history it was just i will just dismiss it with a statement so it, it feels like to me from a south aussie point of view it was a very rushed last minute kind of call in a way yeah, I don't know about rush, but I think it was just a, an outcome that was like, oh, well, we'll get an outcome because we need to have an outcome rather than going, well, let's just think, let's wait, let's at least have a little bit of patience about the decision. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just let's rush to get an outcome out there, let's put it out into the media, let's put it out into the public rather than going, well, hang on, let's think about how we could potentially save the event or what are the... the um, you know, the outcomes we could probably get to rather than having, you know, the worst decision, which is what we've all obviously been having to deal with over the last uh, 72 hours. So where did this start? Where do you feel like the government started taking this attitude of somewhat ambivalence towards the event and slowly diminishing it to a point where they felt it was time to get rid of it? Where do you feel that that sort of snowball started rolling? It's a hard one. Um, I was part of the old regime. So where I sit now, I, I'm very proud to work for supercars. I, I'm a massive motorsport nut. Um, I've, I've raced cars for a living. I've put drivers in cars. I've, I've been a part of everything there is to do with, with the, uh, the Adelaide Grand Prix or the Australian Grand Prix back in the 80s. Um, obviously, resides still here in South Australia, but... Um, I think it started, the chain reaction was a long time ago. I started at the the motorsport board, mm. uh, which was back in 2010. So, um, and prior to that, they, they ran a fantastic event. I think that just the mindset of, um, you know, they, they, they abolished uh, government-funded boards uh, or private boards back in 2015, 16. And then, you know, the actual momentum of what this end result is started when, uh, essentially, they decided to take the control of the event away from the motorsport board and it went in or under the, the uh, Tourism Commission or major events or SATC. So it's probably four or five years where this end result started. It's been an amazing event, Craig, and one that has built to, I think, record crowds in the last few years. This year was down a little bit, but there were obviously reasons behind that as well. But it's not just an event that, built to a crescendo it was an event that was fairly large from the start and continued along that line getting to where it got to would that be correct the, the people of Adelaide have loved this event for a long time yeah I wouldn't even say event it's a festival um if you think about the future proofing of our sport it's 
it's an event that gets bums on seats. It's an event that gets people like myself. I'm 40 now and I'm old, but, you know, it's an event that kids sit on fences and want to aspire to be a, you know, a Craig Lowndes, a Peter Brock, a Mark Scaife. It's, 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 I wouldn't even say it's about motorsport. It's about our state. It's about putting South Australia on the map of Australia or even the world. Um, you know, people went to the event. They didn't care about the outcome of what, was happening on track. They just wanted to be a part or engrossed of what we had to offer. So if it was sitting at the uh, Cooper's, um, you know, the, the Cooper's bar at uh, turn seven or eight or nine and having a drink and seeing the race cars go around, if it was finishing the day and going back into the city and going to a nightclub, a pub, a restaurant, I think it was more about a festival of what South Australia had to offer. And it felt followed on from what we lost from the Grand Prix. And then mm. what we picked up with the sensational Adelaide 500 or the Clipsal 500 or Superloop 500, it was just a part of what we grew up to be and it was what we were going to be in the future. It was about getting people to the event. It was getting families. It was getting people for the future to love our sport and love South Australia. So I think it's a bit more than what it was from being an event. It was a festival of showing off South Australia. It was a festival, festival of showing off what we could do for our country. Craig, the thing that I think has surprised everybody and is the business decision. I know governments don't necessarily run their state like a business. Maybe they should. But when something brings in a profit of $45 million to the economy each year for minimal outlay, so the figures that I believe, and these are the figures that the government have given us over years and not ones that have been made up, $10 million outlay, it brings in $45, $50 million. So it's, it's an amazing event for the economy. It brings in people from interstate, not just... Uh, South Australia, but from all around Australia for the opening round of supercars. That as a business decision is appalling to know that someone doesn't want that to be a part of their balance sheet. It's just, I, I cannot get my head around it. Yeah, look, you spend money to make money. I think it's a very cheap marketing campaign to market South Australia to the country and the world. So a mass visitation driver, it was showing off who we are and what we are to the the world. Um, so look, the, the numbers, who knows what are the factual numbers and what are the fictional numbers in terms of cost versus return. But at the end of the day, it brought people to our state. It brought room nights, it brought meals, it brought accommodation, it brought just dollars back into our state. And it's exactly what we need, probably more so now with what we have with the COVID situation. It's how we're trading out of the COVID situation is, you know, you think about the hospitality industry, pubs, clubs, restaurants, room nights, they need the most benefit backup from our government right now yeah, to sure. move forward. So um, as I always say, what we, what we did, and it's the same as Newcastle, it's the same as Gold Coast, it's the same as Bathurst, it is the best opportunity to showcase what we have in terms of a tourism driver mm. to our state. And again, being South Australia, what else is uh, more um, proud or parochial to see that the beautiful helicopter shots of Mount Lofty, Grange or Henley Beach, Glenelg, and then the city with the parklands and this beautiful racetrack facility right in the heart, the overtrack um, shots of our, you know, you think about two or three years ago, we had the concert acts and we had the, uh, you know, the uh, motocross track and, and then race cars going around the city. We are the best by far, the benchmark in the world in terms of a motorsport event and a world-class event. And that's something we should be proud of. And that's something we should all get behind to not let go or, or, or even give it to anyone else. Yeah, 100%. I think part of the frustration as well was that while there has been a lot of talk about pulling the event out of Mad March and it, it's the, the Fringe and the Festival got so successful and so big and we're was such a massive part of the year that it almost felt like the 500 was just part of that and, and perhaps didn't lose its identity, but was just sort of muddled in with everything else going on. It was almost like there was too much going on. And I think part of the frustration, at least for me as a South Australian, was the deals were done for it to go to November and for it to be the season finale and almost going back to a traditional date when the Grand Prix was. It was that end of year party, the celebration that Adelaide did so well as a season opener for the 500, but it was such a good end of year, a finishing point as well for Formula One. So it felt like going full circle. 
and there's not much else going on in this part of the world in November. Cricket season hasn't started yet. Footy season's done. It, it struck me as being the perfect time. So personally, and from a lot of other locals I've spoken to, that was another sort of whack in the face that it was going to get this new lease on life just by the date moving. And we've sort of lost that opportunity to see that as well. Yeah, it's a double bite of the cherry, isn't it? So if you think about a, a stimulus to get people to to our state, but to visit supercars events as well, you've got a second bite of the cherry for visitation on room nights, accommodation, uh, food, bev, everything in between. But also what I suppose we were probably prepared to do in terms of changing our championship structure to guarantee a, a championship decider and look, we've got the world's closest touring car series in, in the world. So we probably would have, you know, it would have been a 99.9% .9 chance we had a championship decider here in, mm. in uh, South Australia. It wasn't only the main series and supercars. You think about our support categories too, who are all reeling from these decisions. Super 2, uh, Toyota 86, it could have Porsche. been, um, you know, the GT championship, the Trans Am championship, the even the, you know, the improved production, it's mm. not just the top level, it's every single level that hurts from this. And um, I suppose the other frustration is what is the external we, we could have had, and we've all been there, is the supercars uh, gala dinner. So mm -hmm. there's more room nights, there's more dollars back into our economy. And if, it's, is, if it is our championship parts, if it is our team's uh, series parts, if it is our, our smaller support category, major sponsors, they yeah. ought have come to South Australia to spend money back into the economy. So, you know, it would have been a really cool thing to have South Australia as a, as a part of um, the end of season um, celebrations of what we have in terms of one of the top four or five sports in the country. What do you make of the uh, leader of the opposition's moves in the last couple of days? He, he grabbed it quickly, didn't he? Yeah, smart guy. Um, obviously, um, if you look at politics, they're going to do opposite to what is current. Yeah. Um, I think what we need to do is, yeah, 100%, the opposition leader is right behind it. He's very smart. He's got some good guys behind him and Leon Bignall. And, mm. um, you know, he's been a part of the old regime, the part that brought South Australia and the Adelaide 500. He was a big part of bringing stadium super trucks to Australia and yeah. helping Ken Block in here. You know, things that really put South Australia and the Adelaide 500 or Clipsal 500 back then on, on the map. So, you know, you've got some good guys in our corner. Um, my issue is it's 2022 before we yeah. have another state election. So like anything, news is great at the time. It is the, the separation between what is now and what is the future. So I urge all South Australians, motorsport fans, Australians, make some noise. We, we don't want to lose this event. Um, Yes, I'm South Australian and we're all, we all sit here as South Australians and very passionate, but I think it's an event that is part of the staple of what is Australian motorsport. So um, 100% back what Labor are doing in terms of pushing to sign a memorandum and, and get the event reinstated. It could be 22 or 23, but it's what we do in the next two, three, four, five weeks is what is going to be important to bring this event back or at least potentially flow the the mindset of overturning a current decision mm. uh, last one for me mate before um shebex winds it up um you mentioned your racing career what, what's your favorite on track memory of the adelaide's parkland circuit v8 ute days perhaps yeah look v8 utes were so cool here um mm, highs and lows i think it's <laughs> probably where i started my career my first car race so gt back in the day in a little oh, yeah. old Suzuki Swift back yes. in the days of Jim Richards and uh, Peter Fitzgerald. So oh. showing my um, my age, I've raced every single Adelaide 500 there is and the last Grand Prix. So really, um, yeah, 95 was my first car race in corporate cars. My father had a corporate facility from 1986 right through till this year. Yep. So we're heavily invested in the sport, but I just think the... Um, I suppose the most memorable moment is just getting out there, sitting on the grid and looking to the left and you've got the grandstand, looking to the right, you've got mm -hmm. the corporate facilities and going, shit, this is in our backyard. Um, yeah. That's something we're very proud of. Um, we do it the best. I think we do it the best out of any state in the country. A final one from me, mate, and I understand because of your, uh, your position with supercars that you may not be able to say too much, 
Newcastle and Gold Coast also touted as being possible changes there for next year. When will we know that situation? Yeah, I think um, I think probably the nicest word to put in terms of 2020 is fluid. Um, it's been a very fluid year. Um, Adelaide probably put the, the handbrake on getting a new schedule or calendar out there. So I think with the Adelaide decision behind the scenes, we're scrambling to try and work out what is best to finish off our championship. So I'm probably going to say seven days. We'll have an outcome in terms of what Newcastle is, what Gold Coast is. But all I can say is there's a, a lot to be excited about. Gen 3. Yeah. Um, the biggest issue is... Uh, where we sit in terms of the states. Every state has a different rule set. So we look at when we went to Darwin this year, it was pretty much business as usual. Then we go to Bathurst and it's like a war zone with uh, crowd restrictions. So I think Melbourne's had a big part in terms of the confidence of how we're going to go about events. But from where I sit and from what I've heard, we're going to roll out from the first round next year, which looks like it's going to be set in New South Wales that will have a minimum of, of sort of a 50% crowd. And as the year goes, it'll open up. And when we get to the back end of next year, we'll see business, I wouldn't say as per usual, but at least to a relative norm, 22 is when we're going to see these big events back in full flight. And to, to be honest, I think having a little bit of separation, like anything, if you don't have it, you yeah, want it. So like anything, guys, I urge everyone listening at the moment, Vote with your feet. Come to events. Don't be complacent because if you don't, you don't know what you've got until you've lost it. And I think Adelaide and that decision right there has been a massive smack in the back of the head to go, yeah, it was always going to happen. But when we think we don't have it, yeah. it sucks. So let's vote with our feet. Let's get to events. It's not about what is right now. It's about the future of our sport. It's the future about our teams and all the people invested. So you think about team owners from a top level in supercars to support category people. So you think about guys in 86, in Super 2, Super 3, even Aussie car. We haven't heard much from Aussie car this year. It's about the community of motorsport mm. and we're all about that. And we want to see a strong future for our sport because we all love it. We're all passionate and we're a passion-led industry. Yeah, I expect to see Adelaide back on the calendar at the end of 2021, just in case Labor get up. I'd put it in <laughs> there just mate. in case. Fall 22, but put it yeah. in the... At the end of 2021, when we released the 22 calendar, <laughs> Craig, thanks there for your time. Bloody good people behind the scenes pushing. Yeah, and we're, we're all pushing. And like anyone, vote with your mouth, vote with your feet, and be parochial because, um, like anything, noise matters. And we want to keep the momentum going. We certainly do, mate. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Craig Dodds is joining us here on the grid. This is on the grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, Crowley, we've delved into the back end of the Adelaide, it's time for us to sort of have a say, I suppose, of the Adelaide 500 and the decision. We've had a week to stew over it, haven't we? Uh, there's been some stewing, Shebex. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's been a real slow cooker effort, this one. Um, hashtag slow cooker Sundays for those of you following on Instagram as well. It's a fun game. <laughs> um, Mark Walker joins us. Yes, he Hello, does. Hello, Mark. Crowley Shebexter. Isn't that one way to fire up the internet? Is just take <laughs> away all their toys. Yes. That's uh, one way to get the electorate offside, I'm led to believe. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. As we said to Craig Donison, this just totally blindsided everything. It was the last, it was the last thing we expected a week ago. Yeah, it, it, was, it was very, very poorly managed. Not that you could goodly manage a jo- an, an announcement like this, but, and speaking firstly as a parochial South Australian and a fan of that place, and, and that is my favourite, racetrack so there is an element of parochialism on board with this but i felt like that announcement deserved so much more than it than it got it, it got broken by a very very good journalist and, and we heard from rory earlier on in the show um who hated to break that story because he's a motor racing guy like the rest of us um but it, it was once the news was out and once the government knew it was going to be on the the six o'clock news that night and it came out about half past five um, there was a four paragraph statement from the premier and that was, that was a full stop on 35 years of history on that. Amazing. And that, that felt really average, really, really average. It deserved more than that. And if that is the end of that event and I'm not convinced it is, um, then that's a pretty poor way 
to put a full stop on it. Mark Walker, you will back me up on this as I come to you for your thoughts. The message that we got from Richard Quayle on our WhatsApp group <laughs> was just, wow, what the hell has happened here? Well, you certainly paraphrased that, Shebexter. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing for mine is that with so many of these COVID-related things, uh, all right, we'll blame COVID. We'll shut it down or we'll fund this because of COVID. You know, the COVID recovery effort is going to be infrastructure. We're going to build some infrastructure, which is all well and good, but it doesn't help any of the people who have been absolutely smashed by COVID. Mm. People working in hospitality, people working in tourism, the borders shut with international travellers not coming into the country. Those sectors have been absolutely hammered. And here you've got something that it absolutely plays the advantage of hospitality and the tourism sectors. Mm. And we're taking it away. If, if we move this event to the end of the calendar next year and gave it a free run away from March when everything happens in Adelaide, mm. give it some clear air, it'd run. Yeah. You wouldn't have that distraction of everything else that ever happens in Adelaide happening at the same time. It's great for a punter like me who comes to Adelaide for the event because you can tack on some comedy and some shows and everything uh, in the evening on the side, which is great. But as an event on its own, it can stand there and, yeah. and hold its own. It doesn't need all those extra distractions in March. Well, and, and I think part of it as well, if the government came out and said, do you know what? We don't want to take the risk in committing to this event next year. We don't know what COVID's doing. There could be another wave here. Um, the vaccine may be delayed or it might not happen or it might not work. All these worst case scenarios. If they came out and said, we're being uber cautious we understand it sucks, but we don't want to run it in 21. But we've done this deal with supercars. We're locked in for the season finale in 22. Next year is going to be an interim year for everybody. As we just heard Craig say, it's a, it's a year of transition and hopefully a year of building so that by the time we get to the end of it, we're back to whatever normal is. If they'd said that, I reckon people would have had a grumble. You know, oh, well, that's a bit shit. We can't go to the Adelaide 500 a year off. That's terrible. Then they would have gone to the bend And then a year later, it would have been back bigger and better than ever. Because as Craig said, again, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Everyone would have copped that. The the frustrating thing, and it's since come out that the government has done that for the tour down under for the push bikes. So postponed it, not running it next year. It'll be back in 22. If they'd done that for the 500, they would have saved themselves petitions, which are now 50,000 signatures strong and a letter of the opposition going on the attack because he's finally got something to grab and everything going on. They would have avoided that. People would have got on with life and moved on. But they've used it as an excuse to stick a knife in and kill it permanently because South Australian Tourism Commission didn't want the hassle of dealing with this event. And that's the frustrating thing, I think, that's got most people rankled. It's not missing it next year due to COVID. It's using COVID as the cover to kill it permanently. And that's a cop-out, absolute cop-out. Even even Donald Trump would see the value in this, wouldn't he, Mark? Oh, you think so? Oh, I mean, oh, we're not going to start on that civil war, no. but uh, <laughs> I mean, we could, could wind up with one in South Australia. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing for mine, 2019, oh, well, 2020 event, it, it was down. The numbers were down, but you had a concert lineup that sucked mm-hmm. by Adelaide 500 standards. Normally you have some absolute red letter banner things that will draw people in who aren't necessarily motorsport fans who will go to that event for the concerts. And that's just a given this year. That didn't happen. Uh, you also had all the bushfires everywhere. Australia mm, was strung yeah. out at that stage of the year. You had a pandemic on the agenda mm. that it, it was nipping away there. It was playing at people's psyche. People weren't really prepared to go out and congregate in big groups in a grandstand at, at Adelaide. So mm. this year it was it was an outlier anyway. It was a tough sell for the public. And subsequently, those numbers were down and the government's done what they've done. Yeah, and, and that that's part of the cop-out feeling as well, I think, is that they've used one year yeah. as, as an example of a drop, as if it's been a consistent thing. But as has been pointed out quite regularly on social media since, and Nathan Kayser, who was involved in the event for a long time, pointed out, Two years ago, in 2018, three years ago now, they shut the gates on Sunday. They literally yep. put up the sold-out sign because there were 92,000 people in there. Big race, big, big concert that night. It's an event, a festival. That's what you do. 
but but it's the other issue Shebex as well is that they've they've stripped the event as well and and people aren't going to go to something that they don't feel like they're getting value for yeah correct um and it was a, a move i will cite and and this is 100 percent evidence and i could find you 10 people that will attest to this if we needed to go to court over it um they moved the concert from christian brothers college oval in the middle of the precinct because yep. they didn't want to pay the college for its use right that is why they moved it so they moved an area that could hold 30,000 people for a concert into an area behind the paddock area around the final few corners there, which could maybe hold 15. And there are people that went, well, I'm not going to pay money to be in a crush because that whole concert area was yeah. absolutely jammed in in front of the old grandstand there on the old race course. So there are people I know that didn't go simply because they weren't going to go and pay 150 bucks to stand in the sun all day and then go to a concert where they get absolutely crushed where when it was on the oval, you could spread out. Everyone had their yep. space, but the vibe was still good. Simple stuff like that. And there are examples throughout from an on-track perspective and an off-track perspective that did it. The decision to bring the Audi R8 challenge over was purely commercial driven because Audi fronted with a massive check, but no one wants to go and pay money to see a bunch of Audi R8s race. Now I love an Audi R8. Don't get me wrong. They're brilliant, but they're not going to yeah. drag people through the gate. The punter that comes to the Adelaide 500 wants to see jumpy trucks. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just decisions like that. And there are several of these you could tick off that, that have just diminished the event to this point. Remember the year they brought the F1 car out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How good was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give me a good Hyundai anytime over an Audi R8, please. Mm. Come on. <laughs> Hyundai excels there, mate. Would have sold 10,000 tickets. <laughs> I tell 10, you what, new cars. And I feel like I can probably say this now. They were very, very close to being on the program this year. Oh, wow, were they really? There very, very close. I, I think yeah. that, that's a TRT exclusive. But um, there you go. Yeah, it, it's it's frustrating, boys, because it's it's bad for the sport as a general, uh, as a general rule. It, it's yeah. bad for Adelaide. It's bad for South Australia. But for our sport, it's a whack. It's bad for um, supercars too, because obviously yeah. there's a bunch of money that comes out of their budgets as well, due to the fact that that race is no longer on. Yeah, I'm a, as glass half full as you can possibly be, but there's no winners out of this. What does what does James Warburton do? Like he's been on the warpath with Cricket Australia over what he perceives yes. as a diminished summer. So he's just signed this new deal with supercars. Does he look at it and go, "Oh, hang on a minute, your second most watched event of the year," and? Factually, that was the Adelaide 500. And I have the numbers to back that up. They're on the racetalk.com. That's not there anymore. So does he all of a sudden go to Sean Seam and go, oh, well, we want a discount? Yeah. Depends what they come up with in their calendar, I suppose. Yeah. Absolutely. As a replacement, mm. which uh, looks like it will be. Uh, we're, we're pretty much all assuming that a sprint round at Bathurst will be the opener of the season, won't it? Yeah. They're not going to go two 250K races. It'll be a sprint round. I don't know. Won't they? Yeah, I'm not sure. Every, everything yeah. I hear is Bathurst 500. So. Is it really? Okay, there you go. The, the interesting thing for mine is the uh, little story that popped up the other day about KO uh, giving out some of their races for free uh, as a bit of yeah. a premium thing, which has subsequently upset Channel 7, which had <laughs> the free-to-air rights. Mm. So that's a, a little one that they're going to have to all sort out. And Mark, mm. you're the you're the Queensland correspondent. What do you make of a GC finale? Because that's been tipped as well that... that the deal's apparently done if you read some websites that a GC 600 finale next year. Oh, I mean, any GC 600 is better than no GC 600. So I'd absolutely take anything we can get there <laughs> just to have any form of motorsport up here in Queensland would be uh, a good thing. And I mean, November, uh, where are we now? We're in the start of November. It's getting pretty hot. It's going to be a pretty hard old way to end the season. And it's a bit of a wild card. It's like finishing the NASCAR season at Talladega, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. you've got a lot of walls there that can uh, take you out. It's, it's a bit more of a sketchy track than Newcastle. And that's one way to end your season, isn't it? Can we just make sure that they, well, can we just make sure that they finish it before the start of December? Because there's a massive chance in high tide or King tide around that time, could actually wash the cars off the back straight. <laughs> That'd be a first, wouldn't it? Race red flag is the beach chicanes underwater because a freak Gold Coast King Tide King Tide washed oh, it away. I still haven't gotten over the event where I got electrocuted in that thunderstorm. <laughs> yes, but the photos you took for the race oh, were outstanding. They Absolutely. were put, put your life in the line. Big on the cause. Uh, just before we wrap it up, too, guys, we 
spoke last week about the silly season. Nothing's really happened in that, apart from the fact that we know that Fabian Coulthard is definitely not going to be a part of uh, Dick Johnson Racing next year. Do we want to have a speculator about where he ends up? I, I would, I would employ Fabian. He's had a shocking couple of years, but he's a pretty safe pair of hands if you're a team yeah. looking to get yourself fired up. So does he go to to Team Cool Drive? Do you think, or does Tim Slade uh, go there? Uh, yeah, I mean, depends what what else is out there. I mean, depends what their criteria is. Do they need someone with budget? Do they want a steady set of hands to set them up? Uh, that that's going to be very interesting. You know, what happens at Cali still? Mm. Uh, yeah. Is Reynolds going to, to Brad Jones? It's all going to yeah. play out, doesn't it? Hopefully we'll find out some more next week. BJ, I could end up with eight cars next year. Everyone's been so. linked to Brad Jones Racing. <laughs> the other interesting story is that the, the two extra wrecks have been thrown about as coming back into circulation. So there are they 26 licenses. So, yeah. um, and even rumours linking JRM to a comeback, which is Ooh. interesting. Yes. Very, very interesting. All this and more to play out over the next few weeks and look forward to bringing it all your way. Boys, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Well, and here we were worried about a quiet off-season that lasted six months. Yeah. <laughs> Head up, Richard. <laughs> Head up. All right, catch you next thanks, week. Boys. Cheers. Later. Thank you for joining us as well. We'll catch you next week right here on The Grid.